Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. This can be found in the New Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles on page 81. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Scripture. And we now ask that through your Holy Spirit, our hearts and our minds will be open to its wisdom, truth, and peace. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke 21, verse 25. About the coming of age, end of this age, Jesus said, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth distress among the nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that they catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, to those of you who are watching us online and to those of you who are gathered here in person this morning, the Lord be with you. Thank you. It's, um, as we heard already, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And our theme this year as we celebrate Advent is to work with the big idea of prepare him room. And I don't know if you caught that line in the hymn that we sang this morning. It is just so beautiful. I had to pause to reflect on this. But the, birth, the third verse of the hymn we just sang says, Redeemer, come. 
I open wide my heart to thee. Here, Lord, abide. Let me thine inner presence feel, thy grace and thy love in me reveal. Wow. That's really what it's all about when we think about the idea of preparing room in our lives for Jesus. Last Sunday, we reflected on Jesus as King of Kings because it was Christ the King Sunday. And we said that Jesus wants all of us. He wants our allegiance as king. He wants our devotion. And I think in today's reading, we hear a different theme about Jesus as prophet. He knows the beginning and he knows the end and he doesn't equivocate. He doesn't stumble over his words when he speaks about what is to come. But the other thing about Jesus as prophet, and this is something we must remind ourselves of today, is that he's trustworthy. You have every right to question what I say. You have every right to question what you hear the politicians saying. Are they dependable? Are they trustworthy? Do they tell the truth? Do they distort reality to their own advantage? But we can trust Jesus. He's a prophet. His words are true. And we do want you to make room in your lives for Jesus. And we have some resources to help us do that. For example, these Advent devotionals, I don't know how many of you have picked one up, the Gospel of Advent. Lots of thoughtful, helpful readings based on the Gospels. And they lead us in thinking anew about this time of the year. So I would encourage you to pick one up, and if you haven't already, you can pick some up for your friends on your way out of the sanctuary or at the front desk. We have several of these available to help us as we seek to prepare room in our hearts. And then starting this morning, as you heard, right here in this space, our brother David Ivaskal will lead a very provocative series over the Sundays of Advent, right here in this space, and, and I think we're doing it, it's just easy to gather like this in this space, but then for folks online, you are also invited to join us right after we, we take our, our, our time together and get a cup of coffee or water or, cup or, or something to drink, and we come back into this space and we share and we learn together. We want to prepare room for Jesus and maybe the operative word in the reading this morning is to be alert, stay alert. You know, when, um, when Joel was still, our son was still living with us in our, in our home, he's no longer at home with us, but I can remember many, many evenings he would be up in his room on his guitar playing a song. It just sounded like, a, a, you know, back what we call a record. The record was stuck. The needle was stuck on the record. He just kept playing it over and over again, waiting on the world to change. It's a song by John Mayer. And the song says something like this, me and all my friends, we're all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing, and there is no way we ever could. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. 
We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. So we keep waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. We keep waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. It's hard to beat the system when you're standing at a distance. So we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. For the longest while, I didn't understand that song. And the more I listened, I started understanding that this is the cry of a generation. And they're saying that something is wrong with the world, and no one's sure what to do to change the world, so people are waiting for the world to change. And commercially, the song did extremely well. John Mayer won a Grammy for that song, but the song was also criticized by some who said that it promoted a kind of apathy, a kind of sitting on the sidelines, instead of being the change that the world wants to see. The reality is, friends, people are waiting. I feel that sometimes, just wishing that things would change. Waiting for a day when you're no longer murdered for running in any neighborhood in America. People are waiting, waiting for the day when the pandemic is once and for all a footnote of history. We're waiting for the day when basic staples like milk and bread and gasoline doesn't take half of your paycheck. People are waiting for an end to disasters. No more earthquakes, no more floods, no more tornadoes or hurricanes. People are waiting for the day when the criminal activities in our streets and the gun violence and the, 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 the robbing of department stores will just come to an end. People are waiting for a day when the church will be revived and the church will grow. People are waiting for an end to hunger and homelessness, and the list goes on and on. The things that people are waiting for in Yemen and in India and all over the world. In our scripture this morning, the disciples, they were also waiting on Jesus to explain the future. And it wasn't until I went to Israel that it dawned on me that many of these disciples of Jesus were not urbanites. They lived around the region of Galilee, small villages, small communities. They didn't get to the big city of Jerusalem on a daily basis. And so for them to be in Jerusalem and to see the, the massive stones of the temple, the white gleaming temple and its surrounding structures, they were just, they were just beside themselves with joy. And while they were giddy with delight and they were eyeballing the majesty of the temple and Jesus interrupts their reverie and he says to them, you know, a day will come when not one stone will be left upon another and all will be thrown down. And you could see Jesus' words in chapter 21 and verse 6. We didn't read that, but it's pertinent to where we're going. And his comments silence them for a moment and you could almost hear them saying in their mind, Jesus, why are you being so negative? And then they turned to him and they said, Teacher, 
when will these things happen and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And I thought to myself that for them and for many people in Israel, the Jewish people at that time, the destruction of the temple would indeed spell the end of the age. And so it was a very relevant question, Lord, when will this happen? And I've thought to myself that if Jesus heard the lyrics to John Mayer's song, which I'm sure he's heard it, waiting for the world to change, Jesus undoubtedly would be very sad. Because what that song connotes is the idea that we're waiting for the world to change and become a better place, while Jesus is saying to the disciples, yes, the world is going to change, but unfortunately, it's going to change for the worse. And if you look at Luke 21, 8 through 19, you will see the, the many, many ways in which Jesus describes the troubles that will come upon the world and will come upon those who follow him in the world. And for the rest of Luke 21, Jesus gave them more than they asked for. He not only told them about the sequence of events that would lead to the destruction of the temple, but he also told them what they needed to do to survive. And so my goal in the remaining minutes is not to be negative, it's not to be anti-Christmas, but it's to encourage us this morning to use Jesus' words to empower us to live in a world that I think will increasingly become a volatile place. So I want you to think with me about these two admissions. Think with me about these two admissions. Admissions that I hope you will willingly embrace. Number one, that there are some things you and I will never be able to control. There are some things we cannot control. And then there are things we can control. I think Jesus is telling us those two realities. So what are the things we cannot control? First of all, don't you think it's time we stop deluding ourselves into thinking, you know, as James says, don't talk about next week we're going to go here and do such and such. Say, if the Lord wills. What James is saying is just begin to acknowledge we don't know the future. We can't see around the corner. And so, for example, if you look at Luke 21, 25 through 27, Jesus says there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from fear. Imagine that. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So we pause right there and say, so who controls that? Who control those events? Do we? The answer is no. Only God knows the future for this world. How many of us, December 2019, and if you know the answer to this, I want you to raise your hand. How many of us in December of 2019 predicted the global pandemic of 2020? I mean, I need to just connect with you. Okay, so we need to talk about the lottery. Uh, 
you, you know the future. You predicted it, huh? How many of us really do that? Not to, well, if you, if you do, actually not too many people knew that this was coming, but I'm saying to you this morning that God knew. God knew. Who would have thought that an unseen virus would bring the nations of the world to their knees, would disrupt travel, would shatter economies, would shutter many businesses. Some of these businesses have not recovered. Would impact schools, would cause churches to totally change the way they, they do things. And for many of our congregations, we were online. Nobody could see these events coming, but God knew. But here we are. And there are some things that we need to remember and one of them is that God is God, and God is in control, and God is on the throne, and it's not us. That God reigns with power and might, and God is bigger than all the racial and the viral pandemics and all the troubles and the disasters of our world. The picture you're looking at is a terrible, terrible thing that happened on August 4th of last year. You're looking at what used to be a shipping port in, Lebanon, in Beirut, Lebanon. And the homes that were around that shipping port and the businesses that were around that shipping port, they were all destroyed. They all disappeared because more than 2,000 tons of ammonium nitrate was stored in one of the storage units. The unit caught fire and it exploded with the force of an atomic bomb, and hundreds of people died, and thousands were injured, and thousands were rendered homeless, and the corrupt government of Beirut, Lebanon, was booted out, and the future of the country, the future of that country is still hanging by a thread. But what's even more compelling about that disaster is that no one saw it coming. Eventually, the news caught up and started reporting that in 2014, they had, a, they had apprehended a Russian vessel that was illegally transporting those chemicals. They took it off the Russian vessel, stuck it into one of those storage units, closed the door, and they forgot about it. But no one saw this explosion coming. In fact, the more I read about this event, you discover that people were just going about their lives, preparing dinner, getting ready to deliver babies. A bride was posing for pictures on a street corner. Families were gathering to celebrate a wedding. The news anchors were in the, in the, the, the studio reporting the news. There was a Catholic priest with his hands raised celebrating communion. Life was just ebbing and flowing at a relatively normal pace when in the midst of that ordinary day, those ordinary moments as life was ebbing and flowing, the chemicals ignited and exploded and everything changed. There are things we cannot control. But here's a second admission I hope you will embrace, that there are things we can control. Look at verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, here's what we can control, friends. Stand up, raise your heads, because your redemption 
is drawing near. Stand up in hope. Raise your head in hope. Don't cower. Your redemption is drawing near. What else can we do? Jesus says in the next line, look at the fig trees and all the trees. And what happens? I mean, we, you know, this is not my favorite time of the year because when I look at the trees, I know that that white stuff is going to be coming soon. All the leaves are gone. And then come April when I see those little buds and I hear those birds, I say, oh, my favorite time of the year is coming, spring and summer. And just by looking at nature, you can know what's coming. Jesus is saying you can look at the signs that are in the world this is not the time to put your head down. This is not the time to kind of lose yourself in social media and to lose yourself in banal entertainment. This is the time to pay attention, Jesus says, and look at the signs and be prepared. What else can we do? And this is really the, the powerful, powerful part of Jesus' message. He says, be on guard. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with, with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that that day comes, and that that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things. These are things we can control. We can prepare room in our hearts for Jesus so that we are ready when he comes. And we will, we will, we will stand, it says, we will stand before the Son of Man. Now, for some of the purists among us, I can hear you protesting. Come on, Pastor, we're getting ready for Christmas. What's the doom and gloom? Why the doom and gloom? Isn't Christmas about a baby in a manger? And we know about babies, right? And we know how to have a Merry Christmas. And everywhere you go, everywhere we go now around our, our streets and our neighborhoods and our stores, they're screaming at us, get ready for Christmas. Set up your tree. Get your wreaths. Buy your poinsettias. And aren't, aren't these beautiful? Aren't these beautiful? Look at the, the decorations done in preparation for Advent. Isn't that beautiful? Make your eggnog. Get out there at 2 in the morning on Black Friday and stay at your computer for Cyber Monday. Because you've got to get ready for Christmas, they say. And so we know how to manage Christmas, don't we? And for many of us, we want to manage Christmas in such a way so that the little baby Jesus just stays asleep on the hay and doesn't scare anybody. Well, friends, I think that's why I'm here. I'm here to remind us. I'm here to challenge that false notion of why we're here. I'm here to remind us that we live in what I call the in-between time. Yes, he did come as a babe in a manger, but there is another coming. And I'm here to remind you of that. And I know that many of us are saying, you know, Pastor, I've been reading the Bible, and I've been following history, and we've been hearing about the coming of the Lord for over 2,000 years. Where is he? 
William Willimon very artfully said that it is difficult. It is difficult for Christians after a while to stand on tippy-toe for 2,000 years looking and watching and waiting. After a while, we're going to get tired. After a while, we're just going to settle down. After a while, we're just going to blend in with the everydayness of life, and we're going to quit scanning the horizon, he says. But Jesus comes at us. It's almost like smelling salts to wake us up, be on guard. Don't get weighed down. Don't get weighed down with the anxieties. Don't lose yourself in these empty things called amusements. Be on guard against that tendency that we all have to make life all about us. Take care. Stay alert. Stand up. Raise your head because the kingdom is coming. And I think the words of Jesus to Americans today, they are an antidote to our spiritual laziness. They are an antidote to our worldly cynicism. Jesus' words are meant to, 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 to encourage us to believe, to raise our hopes in a hopeless world. And the hardest part for people who believe in the second coming of Jesus is that in living that sort of life that Jesus is calling us to, that's the hard part. It's going to make people say, I get it. This is how the kingdom will look like because of what they see in us. But many of us, including myself, we're up and we're down when it comes to living that life. The reason why I want to believe this it's because I believe that justice can really come to this earth. I believe that husbands can stop beating their wives. I believe that wives can quit blaming themselves. I believe that Jews and Palestinians can look at each other not as enemies anymore, but as brothers and sisters. That's why I believe in the coming kingdom of God. I believe that some of us who are struggling with addictions, some of us who are in the grip of a variety of difficulties and diseases that have trapped us, I believe that with the coming kingdom of God, that God wants to liberate us so that we can walk unashamed, walk as forgiven people in the kingdom of God. Like John Mayer, yes, I believe we're waiting on the world to change, but we're not passively waiting. We're not Borrowing our heads into the sand as we wait. While we're waiting, friends, we're working. We're busy with the work of the kingdom. We're praying. We're living with eyes wide open. We're living with the conviction that change is coming. New heavens, new earth will come when Jesus shows up in glory. And he will come as judge and as savior. I believe that. And I want you to believe that too. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.